All right, so I'm going to jump right into this real quick. So Colossians chapter 3, um, and I'm starting like right in the middle of the book, which is a little bit challenging. So if you have your Bibles, flip back because we've got to do an introduction because there's a couple of pieces here that are important. We already sang them, but it's important to kind of set the stage. Otherwise, the other piece won't make any sense. So look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. So we're going to look at the core, like a, a couple pieces that Paul's like, hey, y'all need in Colossians, I want to remind you of some things. There was some teaching that was going on. There was some other stuff that was happening. Um, and he's reminding them of some things. And then we'll get to the part of the exhortation in Colossians chapter 3. But in Colossians 1.21, Paul says, by the Spirit of God, he's reminding them, the, the believers, where they had come from. And you, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So he's like, hey, I don't want you to forget something about where you've come from. Don't forget where you were at apart from, apart from the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there was a time when you were at enmity with God. God wasn't just your friend. He was your enemy in a sense. His wrath was abiding on you. You were not part of the citizenship of the kingdom of God that He's established from before the foundation of the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. You were not a partaker of the promises you were hostile in mind and you were doing evil deeds. But what did God do? Verse 22. He has reconciled you now in His body, in the body of Jesus Christ, that in the Gospel, through the body of Christ, that God has brought you back when once you were out of harmony with God, He has now brought you back into harmony with His Spirit, with His holiness, with His righteousness, and with His truth, that He has reconciled you in, the, in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So God has this plan. And in Ephesians, it says that from before the foundation of the world, that He knew us, that He has known us, that before we were even existed, that He knew us, the days have been written about us, and that He has chosen to lavish His love upon the world through Jesus Christ, and that through the death of His Son on the cross, that he is ordered, he is able to present us in holiness, and he is not forsaking his justice at all. He can declare us to be holy and blameless and above reproach before him through Jesus Christ. And he's like, I don't want you to forget this, that it's all because of what Christ has done that you have what you have. Everything that you have in relationship to your right standing with God is on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not your own wisdom. It's not your strength. It is what Jesus has done. Now turn over to uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I think Paul actually just spoke on this verse not that long ago. Um, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. For in Jesus, for in Him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Like he's reminding him, not only did Christ's death on the cross actually bring you back into harmony with God. Not only did He reconcile you, but I want you to understand, Paul saying to the church and then God to us today, I want you to understand that there's much more to the Gospel than just Christ's death on the cross, but that He was buried and that He was raised and that He was seen by His disciples and many others besides. And then after many days, He ascended and that He is now seated at the right hand of His Father on high, having received the kingdom. 
And at this point in time, God the Father is in process of taking Jesus' enemies and putting them underneath His feet. So He's telling them, like, I want you to know that God actually loved us with an everlasting love. I think about this when I think about the um, Egyptian deliverance. Actually, it's incredible to think about it. I know sometimes when, when I'm like, and there are times in my life when I begin to think, I wonder if this stuff is all just science fiction, like it's some good fictional novel that would make a good movie. And, you know, and I think like, you know, like, doubt, I'm not going to tell you, like doubt, sometimes like the shadow of doubt creeps into my mind. And then it doesn't take me long when exposed to the truth of God and even the history that's contained in this book to think, what in the world did God do when he called out Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees? He calls them out, promises him all of these incredible promises, enters into a covenant with him. He has Isaac and then ultimately Jacob and the 12 sons of Israel. Joseph goes into Egypt. We just did a BBS on that. Uh, about Joseph and the story. And it's so fun. It's such an incredible story. We like to make plays about it. Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. I remember when I was younger, actually not that long, there was actually a uh, Maranatha used to come and do like um, musical things around here, like probably in the 70s. And they did one called The Dreamer over at the Baptist Church. And I still, like I think I still have a copy of that record, actually, because we went and saw this thing. about, And I still sing some of the songs. From that, you know, like when God closes the door, he opens a window. And there's all these great songs that, that were in that. So we like that story. So then they're in prison. Like in, ultimately, it says that a pharaoh arose that forgot who Joseph was. And, and the people of Israel, God had blessed them. And they were so numerous, they began to enslave them. And then after 430 years, when Moses is alive, God says, I remember my promise. I'm going to go take care of business. I'm going to deliver them out of slavery. And he comes down with a mighty hand through Moses and Aaron, he delivers them through plagues and through a glorious uh, deliverance through, the, through uh, the Red Sea and all of the other things that he did. And we still sing songs about it today and we talk about it and you think about it. All of that was a metaphorical picture that happened in reality to a people that were enslaved in Egypt longer than the United States has actually been in existence at this time. And God did all that uh, for the glory of His name, but also in such a way so that we would recognize the fact when Jesus came that He was the Passover Lamb. That He was the one who was to be sacrificed. That it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats, but that there was a day that came when God said, I love the world so much, I'm going to not just send a prophet, I'm going to send Myself. I'm going to send My own Son into the world. And Jesus said, a body you have prepared for Me. A body that you had prepared. And so in Christ, we have the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. And in Him, we have, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. He has died. He was buried. He has been raised. He has ascended. And He has received all authority in heaven and on earth. And then in verse 11, it says, In Him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. He's talking about salvation. It's so interesting today, we still practice this, like we still practice it in our culture. And I still look at it, and I'm like, a lot of people don't even understand the significance of it at all. Because part of that circumcision issue, part of that is our cultural thing. Part of it actually is a, a, a general revelation, like the sun and the moon and the stars, of a reminder of the fact, like, look, at this is all about Christ, and that He brings a circumcision that's made without hands in our salvation. Look down in verse 13, and He reminds them again, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. There was a time when you were dead, right? 
like we get born into the world, but spiritually the Bible teaches that because of sin we're still dead. So there's like two births that have to take place, otherwise there's two deaths. You know what I'm talking about? Two births or two deaths. Like we're born into the world as humans, and then we have to be born a second time. Jesus talked about that. Otherwise we can die a physical death, and then there is a day coming, there is a day coming, Jesus spoke about this, that He's been given authority to do this, when He's going to return. And He is going to raise every single person from the dead who has ever lived, regardless of their standing with God. Every single person from Adam, from the greatest to the least, every single person will be raised when He calls them forth. And He says, Lazarus, live. And He will call every single person. And there will not be one gravestone. There will not be one cave. There will not be any place in the ocean. There will not be any depth in Hades that will be able to withstand His compelling Word to come forth from the dead. He will raise them all. And there is a second death. The Bible talks about that. And the way that we escape the second death is through the everlasting life that God has brought to us in Christ Jesus. We were dead, it says, in our trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. But then God made, verse 13, God made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. That is incredible. I mean, when Jesus was alive, I think it's phenomenal that I was having a conversation just this last week at youth group and I was thinking about this, about the, the power and authority of Christ and the fact that He could actually... Remember when He said, your, when, when people would come and they were sick and He would say, your sins are forgiven you. And the, and the people that were around Him are like, dude, how can He even say that? And Jesus said, well, is it easier for me to say that your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your mat and walk? And, and He said, but so that you would know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And they're like, hey, only God can forgive sins. And they're not wrong in doing that. The fact of the matter was that they did not recognize that in Him the fullness of deity was dwelling in bodily form. And He already knew somehow in time and space that He was going to go to that cross and so God had given Him the authority to forgive sin. To forgive sin. And He has forgiven us all of our trespasses, our past, our present, our future. He knows when we rise up and when we, when we sit down. He knows when we go to sleep. He knows our thoughts before we think them. There is no place that we can hide from Him. And yet He says that He has taken our trespasses and has canceled the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands and He set them aside. Not, it's not that He's being unjust in doing it. Christ took the justice on His body on the cross and He nailed it to Jesus on the cross. And something significant has happened in the Gospel to us. So now, all of that saying that the question becomes, the first question in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 is, have you been raised with Christ? Have you been raised with Christ? Because he's saying now, he said this several times, this is how the gospel works. You were dead. Jesus came. By faith in the grace and working of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have your transgressions forgiven. And then, if then, you have been raised with Christ. So that's the first question. If then you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. So the first question is, have you been raised? Do you understand? I mean, when, when you hear the gospel or you read the gospel in the text like that in Colossians, does it resonate in your heart? 
Is it something that awakens? Is there something that has awakened in you to the beauty of God, to the depth of our own depravity, to the to the fact that our hearts are filled with sin? Jesus said that immorality. When you look at later on in Colossians here, where it says, "Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you: sexual immorality, impurity." Where does that stuff come from? It doesn't come from external. We can point lots of fingers. Look at how bad the world is. Look at how terrible our nation is going, you know, and these things. And don't get me wrong, we are making some bad decisions. But don't go too far before you recognize that a lot of the stuff Jesus said, that immorality actually comes forth from our heart. Idolatry comes forth from our own heart. So when you hear the gospel, do you recognize the fact of your need of it? Does it resonate with it? Do you worship the God who formed the gospel, the one who sent the Passover lamb to deliver uh, the, the firstborn? from the death angel, the destroyer? Do you revel in the fact that God sent Christ and that He died on the cross for your sin and in so doing that He has delivered you and has delivered me personally from second death, from the lake of fire and brimstone, from being separated from Him from all eternity and away from the glorious presence? Does your heart resonate with that? If so, then Paul is saying you have been raised with Christ. This is a fact. This is what has happened. Regeneration has occurred. There's a, in, in Titus chapter 3, it says that, um, that it's not through deeds of righteousness that we have done, but rather through a washing, through a regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that there's this thing that Jesus talked about with Nicodemus where new birth actually takes place. This mysterious thing, the working of faith and grace in the life of people, of human beings, where repentance takes place and faith towards the Gospel is looked at towards the death of Christ and towards His resurrection. And it says that if we believe that Christ died for our sins, we will be saved. That if we confess that He has been raised from the dead, that we will be saved. And there's something in us that resonates, that sings. And we sing the Gospel. Our heart sings the Gospel. The Spirit of Christ that we have been given sings the Gospel. And we preach the Gospel. And He preaches the Gospel to us over and over. Aren't you? I'm grateful to God in that arena. I love that Jesus said that, uh, that there's a day coming when every single person will be taught by God. He even said, like, you, don't, you shouldn't call anyone a teacher, a no one a father, because you have one father. You have one teacher. And all will be taught by me. And he sits us... He, he, we really have this, this... It's not really mysticism, but there's some truth to it in the Word where we sit at the feet of God and we take in His beauty and the truth. And there is a purification that takes place. Have you been raised with Christ? If you have, now I'm in Colossians chapter 3, if you have been raised with Christ, then Paul says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, again, and we don't really talk about this so much, like we focus a lot, and I do too, focus a lot on the death of Christ on the cross, but, but He was buried. You know, when there was this time uh, during His trials, and I've heard it said that he went through seven different trials. Seven different trials on the night that he was arrested. And the, the um, Pharisees, it looks like they, they like lined up people. Makes you wonder if they paid them or whatever. What, what did they get out of it? And they had all these false testimonies at some of the trials where people are coming in. They're just like, and the, the scripture doesn't even write about all the false accusations. What it does say is that a whole lot of the accusations that they brought up against Jesus didn't stick at all. So they were just lying about him. Just lying. And then there was one guy who came in who said, well, I remember he said that he would destroy the temple and in three days he would rebuild it. 
So he's like, he's all against Moses and against the temple of God and all the stuff. And that, one, that really got the Pharisees all riled up. Of course, even the, Fer- even the disciples didn't realize that when he said that, he was actually talking about what temple? The temple of his body. The temple of his body. And do you see that too, by the way, in Colossians? That we have, we have the invasion of God's spirit into our lives. Thus, Paul talks about it in Colossians and again in Corinthians that our bodies now as regenerated, as believers, that we are now uh, living temples that have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. So he's saying now, not only did Christ die, and then he went into death. He was baptized into death. He reminded of the story of, uh, of James and John. I love that story. Where they're like, hey, you know, let's ask Jesus if we could sit on his right and on his left hand. And then they go and get his mom. I, I just love that because it's just like, you get this idea of the... Of the, um, of the disciples, you know, that they're all serious and everything and all this stuff's going on. They're like, hey, let's go get mom because there's no way. Jesus is too nice to say no to mom. So let's go get mom. And they go and, and she goes and tries to ask him. And he's like, hey, look, you don't even know exactly what you're asking. You don't understand what it is that you're asking for. They were probably thinking about an earthly kingdom. And he's like, you don't really know. To, to grant, I, I, I can't even, he even says, I'm not even able to grant who's going to sit on my right and on my left. Only the Father, the Father has, is going to appoint those. And, and can you go through the baptism of which that I'm going to be baptized with? And they're like, yeah, we can do it. And it's like, again, you get the idea that Jesus is like, oh my goodness, they don't even know what they're talking about. You will be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. And one, of that, one form of baptism that Christ was baptized with was that on the cross, he was to be baptized by his heart stopping. And his lungs would no longer work. And blood would no longer get pumped through his body. He would cease to breathe. He had been given the authority to lay down his life. And when the punishment for sin had been completed and he was hanging on the cross, he had been given authority to lay his life down, and he did. And part of the baptism is a baptism where his body was to be put into the earth for three days and three nights. Remember the story of Jonah. He said, a wicked and an adulterous generation, because they're always like, come, do a sign for us, Jesus, do a sign. And he's like, I'll give you a sign. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, I will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then I will be raised back up again. And he was raised. He had the authority to lay down his life, and he had the authority to take it back up again. And then he appeared to many, and he ascended and is now seated at the right hand of God. And Paul is saying that if you have been raised with Christ, then you should be thinking about the world in this respect, that you are part of a dominion, a kingdom, an everlasting dominion, one of which that Daniel dreamt about and that the angel came and revealed to him was a kingdom that was like a giant rock that comes down from heaven and destroys all the other kingdoms and becomes an everlasting dominion from, from forever to forever. It will never be overthrown. He really is King Jesus. This morning at the 8 o'clock service, we sang Majesty. And I was thinking about, you know, how glorious, you know, Majesty, worship His Majesty unto Jesus. Be all glory and honor and praise. Kingdom authority has been given to Him. Thus, as believers, if we have been raised, we ought to keep our minds on the fact that our King is in heaven. 
He is ruling and reigning. That all authority has been given unto Him. That there is nothing that can touch our lives apart from His authoritative rule. That He holds the breath of every single living being. He holds the universe in His hands. He is the one who makes things move. It is His kingdom that we have been made a part of. We are His children. And we are to see the world from that perspective. Not, and it's not that there is no worth in the other pictures that we have on the world, but first and foremost, as those who have been redeemed, we are to see the world in this way. John wrote about it in a different way from a negative perspective. He's like, hey, look at you should not love the world or the things in the world. And look, at this isn't a rule. He's saying if you're part of a if you have been part and made a partaker of a divine nature, if you have been raised with Christ, if you were buried with Him and raised with Him in the newness of life, then do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all of its desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And if you want to know what the will of God is in summation, like in a, in a distilled format, because there's different ways of actually looking at that, Jesus actually told us, this is the will of my Father who is in heaven. Believe on the one whom he has sent. So somewhere along the lines, God has taken the complexities of of unveiling His will and distilled it down to the fact that our life, everlasting life, true, abundant life is wrapped up simply in following Christ, in believing in Him, in clinging to Him for our good, in understanding of Him. The Bible is filled with this in the New Testament. It talks about even our salvation and our sanctification and even our glorification is actually not about so much what actually happens as much as that it stems from the fact that we have a knowledge of God, that it is the knowledge of God that purifies, that it is the knowledge of God that sets us apart, that it is knowing Him that is everlasting life. That's what Jesus taught in John chapter 17 when He prayed the prayer about what is everlasting life. I want them to have everlasting life. And this is eternal life that they may know you the the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so there's something in here where he's saying that if you have been raised, that there is a degree of hatred that we have for sin. That there is a degree of hatred that we have for idolatry. And look, I'm not talking about this idea of pointing fingers externally as much sometimes as looking internally and saying that we still have a sin nature that tends to to rise up from time to time and tempt us unto unbelief. And I'm telling you, just like we need the beauty and image of Christ to move forward with missional love into McHenry and into Crystal Lake and into Woodstock and into Wisconsin and into Lake in the Hills and everywhere else, just like we need His missional love to do that, we need that same love, that same grace, that same vision of Christ seated at the right hand of His Father to overcome lust internal. To overcome a temptation to not trust Him in the middle when my body begins to break in certain areas or grow weak 
or to trust Him with my relationships horizontally or to trust Him in these other areas. It takes as much grace in those areas to honor God as it does to move forward with missional love, with the Gospel into the community. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. Why? Verse 3. Verse 3. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We have died. Romans chapter 6 has a huge section on this. I'm going to just encourage you all to, like, it's life transformational to memorize Romans 5 through 8. I'm just telling you. I mean, there's some incredible teaching in there. And Romans chapter 6 goes into much more detail than he does in Colossians right here. But he says this, How can we who have died to sin still live in it Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, I'm saying that the Gospel and the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a historical fact. It is a historical fact. And it is. It's important that it is a historical fact. But there's much more to it for the life of the one who has been connected with Christ, who has been made one with His divine nature, because somewhere, just as Jesus embraced the baptism, the calling of which that God has called Him to, and He embraced that baptism into death, that He was buried for three days and three nights, somehow, through the Spirit of God, and through the grace of the Gospel, and through what God has done, we die with Christ. We die with Him. We are buried with Him. In the ground. We were dead with Him. Somehow, 2,000 years later, when the Gospel came to us, in the moment that we believed, we got placed into Christ and everything that happened to Christ and all of His riches, just like His death becomes ours, also His riches become ours. And, and so we take on a whole different role. I love it. Galatians 2.20, where Paul actually says that, um, that I have died. I have been crucified. Even though he was never crucified, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten with poles. I mean, a lot of things happened to him. He got bit by snakes. He wasn't crucified on a cross, and yet he said by the Spirit of grace, and this is true of you and of me, we have been crucified with Christ if we have believed. So now it is no longer us who live, but it is Christ who lives within us And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for us to free us from ourselves, to free us from demonic power, to free us from worldly temptations and the world system that's attempting to draw us in and teach us values that are not in accordance with kingdom theology, with kingdom teaching. It's not that way. It's not that way at all. So He's come to deliver us. We have died. Verse 3. Now look at verse, uh, verse 4. It says that Christ is our life. I mean, how many? There's like a bunch of verses. Do you guys have verses that come to your mind? I have a whole bunch right here. But when Christ is our life, what are they? Anybody? Give yourself some opportunity. Can you think of any verses that talk about how Christ is our life? You're the one who prepared, Carrie. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That Christ is our life. 
John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the one. In, in when He raised Lazarus from the dead, He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You must believe that I am. And in that belief, you will find that I am everlasting life. Jesus even talked about that uh, with the Pharisees. And in Colossians, He's clear about it again. Our entire existence in eternity is completely and totally dependent upon the fact that Jesus lives. The resurrection is critical to the Christian faith. In, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul told the church in Corinth who was arguing about whether or not Jesus was actually raised. Understand, was Jesus raised? He was raised. Does He have a body of flesh and bone right now? He has a body of flesh and bone. Is it the body that He was born with? Yes, it is the body that He was born with, it has been glorified. It has been glorified. When He appeared in the upper room, and he, it's amazing to me, I'm telling you, that we get, this, we, we get this stuff wrong. But when He appeared in the upper room, He told them, come to Me and touch Me and see that I am not a spirit. I have flesh and I have bone. Was it the flesh and bone that was laid in the ground? It is. Where is it? It was raised and it was glorified. His body is not to be found on the earth. He has been raised and He was glorified. Is it the same? I don't know. That's what the Bible says is that we don't exactly know. I'm telling you that it is His body that was, ra- that was crucified on the cross. On top of that, what did He tell, what did he tell uh, Thomas? Come and put your hand in the wound in my body, in the body that was raised. Come and touch the scars where the nails were at. Was it the body that he had on the earth? Yes. It is the body that he had on the earth that was raised. Is it exactly the same? Is it infirm? Is it weak? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. It's been raised. Now, do we know exactly what he's like? No. In fact, it seems like he appeared to people and they didn't even recognize him at all times. Only when he desired to be recognized that they could actually see Him for who He was. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Christ is our life. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, and this is a testimony, that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And Paul says right here again in Colossians chapter 3, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. There is a day coming, even as He is ruling and reigning, and He is seated at the right hand of His Father in heaven on high, the Father will tell Him, it is time. Son, go forth. I have given the entire world to you already. Go forth with your kingdom and return to the earth. It's eminent. It can happen at any time, the Bible says. And He will appear. In Titus chapter 2, it says that believers are waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. John wrote about this, and this is kind of sorrowful, but it's true. When you think about the return of Jesus, he says, I want you to abide in Him so that when He returns, 
we might have confidence and not shrink back from Him. You know what that means? That there can be a time, somehow, where we're living in such a way where the return of Jesus, even though we're part of His kingdom, we're not looking at it in favor because we're, we're holding the idols in our lives and so we don't want Him to return because we would be ashamed. It's like, oh, He's coming back, quick! Go hide those DVDs! Turn that off! Don't do that! Get over there! And what he's saying is, and that's an interesting thing too, because we might not really understand the fact that he's with us wherever we go, that we take him with us wherever it is that we go, but we ought not to shrink back at his coming, but rather live in such a way by the grace and spirit of God where we delight in his coming. And then here, and I was alluding to this verse earlier, in 1 John chapter 3, it says, Beloved, now we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see Him as He is. Will this body be raised? Will my body be raised? Yes. Will I be the same? No. It will be this body. I I think it's like a seed. Uh, I think in uh, Corinthians, he talks about this. The difference between my body right now and the resurrection body is like, and I'm talking about a, uh, um, a natural picture that God gives, is like the difference between a tiny little seed and a huge oak tree. It's completely different, but it is this seed. It is this body that is sown in weakness that will be raised in glory. I will be glorified by faith in Christ Jesus. Not because of who I am, but because of what Christ did. And there you have it right there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In Philippians, he says, but our citizenship is, from, is in heaven. And from it, we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will transform our lowly body. Yes, this body, the body that you're in now, if you believe, will be transformed. He will transform it to be like His glorious body. For the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself, He will use that authority and that power to transform His people into glorious images, just like himself. He's replicating himself. That's what we've been destined for. Lastly, and this is what he gets at, if these things are true about us, he's like, if these things are true about us, then put to death, therefore, what is earthly. Live with a heavenly mindset. Live with a view of the reality that our king is ruling and reigning. And right now, the father even as Jesus is interceding for you and me, the Father is taking Jesus' enemies one by one and He's putting them underneath His feet. And one day, every single one of His enemies, He's already won the battle. It's, it's over. It's done. He's won it. But God, for whatever reason, in salvation, is choosing to set His enemies underneath His feet. The last enemy to be overcome will be death. He's already conquered it, but He's going to conquer it for everybody. And death will be slain by the King of Kings. We sing about it. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is wrapped up in sin, and our Savior has dealt with sin. Peter actually writes about the second coming of Christ in Second Peter chapter 3. And he says that, uh, that Jesus is going to come back, and the world, before he returns, is going to make fun of the, that fact that we believe that. But it's all through the New Testament. He will return. There is a second coming. coming, And He will return. And then when He talks about all this, He says, 
The day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That's what, first John, what John said about it. It'll all pass away. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and even hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And I'm reminded of A.B. Simpson who when asked, when will this happen? And his answer was, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the earth and then the end will come. We need to have minds that are set on things above where Christ is seated. It will impact the choices that we make, what we do with our money how we invest our time. It will give us missional empowerment by the grace of His Spirit to see the world around us and our relationships through the lens of His authority, of His dominion. And by His Spirit, we will walk in His ways. So thus, we put to death the things that are of the world and we let Him bring to life the things that are of Christ so that we might reflect the beauty of His life as living temples. Father, we give you thanks. And we ask that you would work in our lives these truths out. The reality of it is, is that we still struggle. We wrestle with sin in us and around us. We wrestle with an identity where we begin to think that who we are is more about what we do or who we know or the sin that so easily entangles us or maybe our political positions or nationalities. Sometimes we think about who we are is about what we can do or what we can't do. And it's not about what we're able to do. It's not even about our disabilities, Lord. It's about You and we're wrapped up in Christ. And I ask that You would help us to have that veil removed that Ron talked about at the beginning so that we can see you more clearly, that we can understand kingdom economy, that we can understand authority, and then we can operate in the invincible authority of Christ and make choices in line with the living Savior, bringing honor and glory to you. If we have been raised with Christ, help us to seek the things above, Father, and to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name and for your renown. Amen.